Hey, good evening. I'm used to saying good morning. Good, good evening, Walter Spires. I am excited to be here with you and getting back into the Word of God and a reprise of the No Looking Back message from Sunday morning. Had some technical difficulties and issues on one of the cameras. And when I say one of the cameras, I'm talking about phone cameras. I do not have real cameras. Uh, those are pretty pricey. And so we've gotten by all these years of ministry with all the hundreds of videos on the YouTube site using the camera phone cameras. And, and hopefully someone will come to know Christ as Savior. And those of you who are born again in Christ will be challenged for this new year, 2024. So let me pray as we get started. Father God, thank you for your word. Your word is truth. And I am indeed uh, honored to be able to do this again, even though it's as a result of a malfunction of a camera. I have to believe that your Holy Spirit is in this and on this and will work through this message and these words you've given me to bring someone to the knowledge of the saving grace of Jesus Christ, even tonight before this message is over or before they shut it down. And for those of us who are born again in Christ, Lord, it's a challenge for us to consider what Christ was teaching his disciples before he left them and went on to be uh, in heaven with you. So we thank you for that, and we pray, Lord, that uh, my words would be guided and directed by your Spirit, for Christ's sake. Amen. Well, I began by giving a little scenario of a story here that I made up, and it's an interesting one because it kind of segues us into what it is we want to talk about today. So suppose that this someone that you had been dating seriously for a long time, thought might, you might even be the right one, maybe you'd get married or something like that, but you didn't, you broke up. And over time, you found someone else, and uh, you did, in fact, get engaged and were going to be married. And at your wedding ceremony, you're standing there by your bride or groom, and the, the preacher's there getting ready to uh, deliver the vows and ask you to do those things it takes to become united in holy matrimony. And out of the corner of your eye, you just sort of glance, and you see that person that you had been serious with before. You see them standing there at your wedding, and you have no idea how they got there, but it, it catches you off guard and, and gets your attention, and you keep kind of glancing over there. And so your fiancé notices that, and the question becomes this, what's she thinking? What's he thinking? Why are you doing this? Why are you continuing to look back, look back at the person that you used to be with when you should be focused here with me and looking straight ahead at this pastor or preacher who's about to marry us? What should I think if I catch you looking back at the person that you used to be with, knowing that you love that person and almost married them, but now you are committed to me and should be with me and focused on me and looking ahead. What would that person think? What would your fiancé think? Wouldn't they be shocked? Wouldn't they be even thinking about, well, maybe I'm making a mistake here? Are they really committed to me? Is he or she really committed to me? Well, I tell you that story because that's what Jesus finds with his disciples too many times. And, and that applies to us as disciples, those of us who are born again in Christ, some who say that they are Christians but are not. We talked about those over a number of weeks looking at cultural Christians and progressive Christians and other people like that. But what I want to talk about today is to look at Jesus, the key verse, which was in Luke 9, verse 62, about no looking back. 
Now, I've taught a version of this message on the first Sunday and in the first meeting I had with different groups, whether it was prison, um, women's mission, men's mission, all the different places that I teach and have taught over the years. And, and, and I always go back through and look and kind of update it and change some things. But it is, by and large, this same title, No Looking Back. And that's what it is, No Looking Back. And so we're going to look at Luke chapter 9. That's where we're going to be um, exclusively, but except for the closing verse. So if you have your Bibles, you can look at Luke, 20, uh, Luke 9. And I'm going to walk through some things real quickly because I taught on parts of this passage uh, weeks ago, maybe a couple of months ago. And I'm just going to give you an overview of what's in Luke 9 leading up to these verses that will be our passage for this evening. So in Luke chapter 9, here's what's happened. Jesus has sent out the 12, and it says he gave them power and authority over all the demons and to heal diseases. They're given these special powers by Jesus to do just what he did. Cast out demons, heal people from diseases. Now, they didn't have those all the time. They didn't have that. They had it for this time, this season, and they went out and did that, and they were absolutely blown away by that a power and authority that they had. So we go through that series, that sequence in the first part of Luke 9, and then we have the feeding of the 5,000, which is recounted in the Synoptic Gospels. So Jesus fed the crowd of 5,000 with the five loaves and two fish. So they've seen that. These are disciples now. I'm talking about where they're coming from. Then Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up onto the mountain. Uh, some speculate which one it is. We don't know with certainty. He went up on a mountain, and he took them up there, and before them, they saw the transfiguration of Jesus. The transfiguration transfigured into that special, spiritual, physical body that I think will be what we have in heaven. And, and along with him was Elijah and Moses. And it blew them away. Now, there was just three, Peter, James, and John. And remember, they were just stumble bumbling around, didn't know what to say. And Peter said, well, should I build some tabernacles for you? And all this stuff. They didn't know what to say because it was such an overpowering thing. But Jesus wanted them to be personally involved with that, to experience it, because they were going to become pillars of the church, especially Peter and John. His brother James would be the first martyr. This is not the James that wrote the epistle of James. Um, there are a number of James in the New Testament. So we'll talk about that some other time. And now after all of that, after all of that the disciples have seen and experienced firsthand, we get to verse 46 in the passage we've talked about before, where there's an argument going on amongst them, among themselves, about who is the greatest. <laughs> They're arguing over who is the greatest among them. Now, Jesus is representing and walking a life of humility because if they believed or thought he was Messiah, he had said, and we'll see in a minute, that he has no fancy home, no palace, no army to command, at least not here. He's just a lone teacher, missionary, the incarnate son of God going through these areas, northern Israel and Judah and Jerusalem and then up in Capernaum and across the uh, Jordan over into the Decapolis, those areas, and just preaching and teaching and doing amazing things. And what are they doing? <laughs> Instead of going out and following his lead, they're just arguing about who's the greatest. And so that's when Jesus pulled the child in and said, this is what you got to be like. If you're like this child, this is what will inherit the kingdom of heaven. The people with this mindset, this trust, 
this loving, this innocence will be the ones who inherit the kingdom of heaven. We go on to the next part of that. They're going from uh, the northern part of, Gal of Galilee, Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. That's the northern area of Israel. And you have to come down. If you come straight down through going to Jerusalem, you go through Samaria. We talked all about that for weeks on the woman at the well and some of those things. Well, now Jesus wants to go back through Samaria, and he tells him, go to this town and prepare a place for us. And when they got there, the people rejected them. And they said, no, we won't receive you and Jesus and your, your crowd, your posse, because you're going to Jerusalem. And as I shared with you before, the Samaritans hated the Jews just as much as the Jews hated the Samaritans. So they wouldn't let him come. And so uh, what does, I think as John says, you want me to call down fire from heaven and zap them, just burn them up? Me call down lightning and kill them? That was his response. Let's just kill them then. Let's just call. You've got this power. We've got this power. Let's just call down heaven, lightning, excuse me, call down lightning or fire from heaven and kill them, burn them up. <laughs> so this is what they had learned so far. And this was their mindset still. They had a long way to go. And, of course, Jesus said, no, 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 time out. I didn't come to kill people. I didn't come to destroy people. I came to save people. And remember, his mission now was first words out of his mouth, or at least what we're, we're shared with, what's shared with us in the Bible in Matthew 4, if it comes down from the temptation, he said, I came to call sinners to repentance. I came to seek and save that which is lost. The word Jesus means save his people. And when the angel spoke to Joseph, he said, you'll name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So Jesus reminds them, look, I didn't come to zap people and kill them just because they don't like us or they reject us. I came to save people from their sins. All right. Now, that gets us to the passage for this evening, which is the last part of Luke chapter 9. And I'm going to read those verses 57 to 62. And I want you to pay particular attention because there's three different encounters that Jesus has with individual during this little short passage. So they're continuing going down the road, and someone, just someone, it didn't say who, just someone said to him, uh, I will follow you wherever you go. He just jumps up and shouts, Lord, I'll follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, The foxes have holes, the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Now I'm going to read this whole section, and then we'll come back and talk about those three. The second encounter but now Jesus said to another one, another person, again, it, 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 this is Jesus speaking this time. The first time the guy cried out, now Jesus looks at one of them and says, hey, follow me, follow me. But that person, that man said, says he, so that man said back to him, Lord, permit me first to go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, allow the dead to bury the dead. But as for you, Go and proclaim everywhere in the kingdom the kingdom of God. Go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of God. I didn't say that right the first time. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury the dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God everywhere. That sounds a lot like the Great Commission, doesn't it? Well, it is. And in the third encounter is this. And another one shouted out to him, Lord, I will follow you also, Lord. I'll follow you, but first... But first, permit me to go say goodbye to those at home. I will follow you, but, and remember that. 
And in our key verse is verse 62. Jesus said to him, no one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. No one, after putting his hand to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God. Let's talk for a few minutes about these three different encounters. The first one was this person just called out, I'll follow you, Lord. It sounds a little bit like Peter, right? Peter was that outspoken, bodacious one, that uh, kind of fiery personality and always kind of run ahead of himself. This one said, I'll follow you anywhere. And then Jesus, instead of answering directly, it was an interesting answer. He said what? He said, the foxes have holes, meaning they have homes, places that they live. The birds have nests. They have homes and places where they live. But the Son of Man doesn't have anything like that has nowhere to call home, nowhere to lay his head, doesn't own any property, doesn't own a palace or house or a hut, much less a palace. He owns nothing. He is just there to fulfill God's will for his life, his purpose. And that's what he shares. And look, you want to follow me? Here's the cost. I don't have anything and I don't have anywhere to call home. And we know that he made his home base up in Capernaum, up at the north shore of the Sea of Galilee, but when I told he never owned anything and he, he just lived and slept where he could. And God made provision, just as he will for those of us who follow him, who trust him with those things. Jesus trusted the Father for everything. And so his answer is a way of telling this man who jumped up and said, I'll follow you, Lord. I'll follow you, was to let him know, okay, will you? And he, and he gave them those circumstances under which he and the disciples lived. The second one is really interesting because Jesus actually called him. He said, follow me. Well, when he said that, the, the man immediately made an excuse, which he probably thought sounded like a pretty good one, because he said, well, wait a minute, Lord, let me go and bury my father. Well, what kind of a leader, a person wouldn't let someone go bury their father if, in fact, he was dead? And it seems like a strange response, because Jesus said to him, well, let the dead bury their own dead, but as for you, go and, claim, go and proclaim everywhere the kingdom of heaven. What Jesus is saying is speaking into the seriousness of his call. If he calls you and says, come and follow me, just like he's called me and said, come and, and follow me in preaching my word, proclaiming my word, be an evangelist to the church, continue to preach and reach and teach and disciple people. Everywhere the door is open, whether it's a prison or mission or some homeless group or inside of a big church. It doesn't matter. That's my calling. That's what I try to do is be faithful to do that. Go, let the dead bury the dead is not really a rude comment because obviously a Jewish son was supposed to take care of his father and bury him and go through all the rites and things that they did for funerals and burials. But Jesus is saying, listen, there are other people who can do that. Let them take care of that and you come and follow me. And following me, laying down what you have and coming and following me is more important even than going home to bury the dead, even your father. So that's a very, very serious statement that he made, very serious statement. And the disciples are listening to all of this. And then the, the third one, someone else says, the Lord, I will follow you, but. <laughs> and this probably describes many of us. I don't know what your conversion experience was like. I don't know that after you became a Christian, how much you've been willing to lay down or take up your cross, lay down your own life, and go follow Jesus into wherever and whatever he sent you to. 
But this, this response was classic, Lord, I will follow you, but let me go say goodbye. <laughs> and then Jesus lays it out, this key verse, this key verse that no one, after putting his hands to the plow and looking back, is fit for the kingdom of God, or the kingdom of heaven. No one is fit. So I want to talk for a minute about what those three things mean, okay? When we talk about hand to the plow, now, if you haven't ever seen a plow, and I have pictures of them, and my father's old enough, he's home with the Lord, but he used to plow behind a mule. Poor people did that back in those days. In the time of Christ, and most times in the Bible, they used oxen. But when your hand is on that plow, the oxen, the horse, the mule, whatever it is in front of that, that animal before you, when your hands are on that plow, it's time to go to work. And you set your hand there, and the giddy-up or whatever it is you take, or that spank with a leather strap, whatever it takes to get them going, you are working. You are working in the field of harvest. That's what putting your hands to the plow means. So once you've done that, you're committed. It's a sign of commitment that you've committed your life and your work to Jesus Christ, whatever it is, whatever it is. And it doesn't mean vocational ministry. But what Jesus is talking about, he said, when you put your hand to the plow, you're, you're serious business. You're not going to be looking around, looking back. Because then he says, um, once you put your hand to the plow, no one who looks back. Well, let me tell you what happens or what can happen when you look back. When you're standing in front of, a, when you're standing with your hands on a plow and, you know, behind some big animal or two or three, whatever it happens to be, and they're going ahead. You're plowing down the field. It's pulling this sharp disc thing, which is the plow itself, the cutting part of it, the blade. It's cutting and tilling the soil, just like tractors do it now. Only poor people couldn't afford a tractor. Obviously, didn't have them then. But uh, my father plowed with a manual plow, according to his stories. They could not afford the big tractors and the plows that farmers use today. They didn't have that. And so... If you were to be plowing along, let's just say it's behind a couple of oxen, and you look back, nothing good is going to happen. Nothing good is going to happen. One of the things that could happen, simplest one might be, you just step in a bunch of ox poop. Because just like horses when they're running or other animals like that, they just drop as they go. You're liable to step in something. Okay, that's one thing. Another thing is very likely to happen if you're not paying attention and you're like this, these ox can go wherever they want to go. And so part of doing the plow is making sure you keep them going straight and you plow a straight furrow. You walk a straight line, a straight path. You're going to go back and forth in straight lines. They can be curving all over the place, and you don't know it because you're not paying attention to where they're going, and so now you're not paying attention to where you're going. And the third thing is that would be even more humiliating is you're going along and you're pushing this thing, and those animals stop. And you're looking back, and you just walk right up into their backside because you aren't paying attention. And so nothing good comes out of looking back. In that scenario, that analogy Jesus is talking about, when you put your hands to the plow, it's time to work. It's time. So Jesus is trying to help people understand the seriousness of this call, and you're saying that you will follow him, but you don't. I will follow you, but... Well, let me go bury the dead. There's all these buts and reasons and excuses that we say we want to follow Jesus, and yet we don't. 
You have to ask yourself and look in your own life, your own heart, to say, does my life reflect what Jesus taught us to do, His commandments to the disciples? Does my life look like that? Am I trying to emulate Jesus in my life? You know, one of my uh, goals this year is simply, to, is every year, every day, is to try to love and live and look more like Jesus. That's what we're called to do as Christians. And if you're not in His Word, if you're not reading the Word and understanding what He taught His disciples, you're not going to know. You can't just listen to people like me that are teaching you. You've got to get in for yourself and see what He said and see what the Holy Spirit has for you in what He taught that applies to your life and your circumstances. All right. I want to ask you three questions as we kind of push toward this. It's not a long message tonight. But I'm going to ask these questions, and I'm going to give you a verse that you can go look up in your quiet time, because I think they're important when we're looking at a brand new year, kind of starting again, fresh. You know, we always think about that as we roll into a new year, though nothing's changed except the date on the calendar, right? We don't write 2023 anymore. We write 2024. So the first question is this. Are you willing to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus fixed on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, knowing that going straight ahead, plowing straight ahead is the direction he has for you, unless he says to turn to the left or to the right. Well, the verse I want you to look up there is Hebrews 12, too, because it says what I just said there. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. He is the one who died for us. He is the one who came from heaven incarnate Son of God, fully God, fully man, and made that sacrifice that only He could make, a perfect sacrifice. And so His command, His His desire for us as believers, those fit for the kingdom, is that we keep our eyes fixed on Him. Because when I take my eyes off Jesus and I start looking at the world, the circumstances, and especially if I look back at my past, there's a demonic realm out there that wants you to do that. There are demons all over the place that want to bring you down and bring you back into your past. And we've all done foolish, stupid things in our past that we're not proud of. And, and we've confessed that sin and we've moved on decades ago, decades and decades ago. But there are things that Satan and demons would bring back up in our minds or put us in circumstances, put people and things in front of us that would tempt us to trip and fall. We've got to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. And that's Hebrews 12, too, so you can go look that up. The next question is this. If you're uncertain of what his will and plan is, for you know, are you willing to get on your knees and in the Word and find out? If you're uncertain of the path and the plan, the way that he has for you, are you willing to find it out? Because I promise you that God is not hiding from you. God is not withholding it from you unless you're outside of his will, unless you're living in sin then you're not going to get the clear revelation that he has for you as a born-again believer, spirit-filled and following him. The first thing you've got to, get do, you've got to do is get right with him, confess your sin, and then um, look to him. And so there's verses. In fact, the, um, both of the last two questions are tied to this. So, uh, Jeremiah 29.11, excuse me, Jeremiah 29.11 and, and uh, through 14 and let me just, a lot of you know, you know Jeremiah 29, 11. That's a very popular verse. You see it up a lot of places. It's totally taken out of context because it was for the Jews who were going into exile. God gave them a good word of hope before they went into exile for 70 years. 
So this is where the context of this is in Jeremiah 29. I'll share with you a context we can take it on because it was written for the Israelites first and foremost. That's what it's specific to. But let me share with you the piece of this that can apply to us, okay? So in Jeremiah 29, 11, he said, again, he was speaking to the Jews through Jeremiah, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for your welfare, not for your calamity, to give you a future and a hope. So God does have plans. He did for Israel and his people. He does for you. If you're born again in Christ, you're one of his. You're a child of God. Of course he wants to give you a plan and a future and a hope, but it doesn't apply to anyone else. And you're not going to find it. You won't find it ever if you continue to live in sin, wallow around in things, looking back, not hand on the plow, plowing crooked, going this way, going that way, saying that you're born again, saying that you're in Christ, saying that you're a Christian and all these things, whether you go to church or not, none of that matters if you're not confessed up and walking with the Lord. Then he says, I know the plans I've got for you. Do you know them? Do you know them? Do you know what they are? Well, listen how he says you figure that out. You'll come and call upon me, and you'll pray to me. Uh-huh. You'll pray to me. The first prayer is to confessing our sins and getting our hearts cleansed and right with the Lord. You'll come and pray to me, and here's the thing. He says, I will listen to you. God's not hiding. He's not hiding. He wants to have his children come and pray to him. He wants to have the lost come and confess their sins and ask him to save them through the risen Christ. And of course he will. But it requires repentance and contrition and brokenness, that brokenness that we come to him and say, Lord, I, 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 need, to, I need to know. What do you have for me? And I'm willing to lean in and listen. And I'm willing to get in your word or get into a Bible study or get in a place where people are encouraging me and, and get in front of people that are older and wiser in the Lord who might be able to counsel me. That's how God delivers his plans and his purpose for our lives. But it begins with come and pray to me and I will listen to you. And he said, and then you seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all of your heart. You seek me, you come to me. And I will be found by you, he says in verse 14. I will be found by you. God is not hiding. He is not hiding, okay? God is not hiding from you. In fact, he's waiting on you to put down the other stuff, to stop looking back, even if you are hooked up to the plow, and focus on him, eyes on Jesus, eyes on Jesus, coming to him, calling on him. Lord, what do you want me to do? Lord, is this the right job? Is this the right person that you're in a relationship with? Not if you're married, but, you know, those kinds of things. Lord, I need to know. I'm looking for answers. God has answers. God has answers. And he's not trying to hide from you unless you've actually run and hidden from him or you think you have and you really have not. So my admonition is this. It's threefold. First of all, um, stop looking back. Stop looking back at the world behind you, what you left behind. <laughs> I mean, it was easy for me to talk about this with men and women in prison, homeless, things like that, who had made really, really bad decisions, or other people that made bad decisions which had affected them. But, I mean, the past is past. Are you really relishing something in your past more than you are your future? Then you're living in your past. If you just lean back to that, look back to that, um, you're never going to get where, where God wants you to go. 
You're never going to get what God wants you to have. And there's no prosperity nonsense in that. But God has a purpose and plan for you. So I want you to stay focused on that. And then the hard commands told his disciples, he said, you know, you're going to have to take up your cross, which meant death, take up your cross daily and follow me. In other words, I lay down what I think is the right thing if I'm just doing it all on my own. And I go to the Lord and say, listen, Lord, I'm trying to surrender all of this to you so that you can share with me what is it you want. You know, it's that Oswald Chambers devotion I use every day. I love is my utmost for your highest. I don't want to, I don't want the good. I don't want the okay. I want the best. And there was a corporate bestseller years ago called From Good to Great. It was about corporations, how to make that move. I don't want okay in my life. And I don't really want good. I want great. I want God's best. And even if it doesn't look like what the world would describe as best, that's what I want. I want God's best. I want God's best. And I've told you how we find that. But we have to lay down our lives, take up our cross, and follow Him and obey His commandments. And listen, the final thing is to learn to love like Jesus. We want to love like Him, look like Him, and live like Him. But to love like Jesus is not what most people think it is. He loved people by telling them they were sinners in need of a Savior. He told them time and again, and he shared these things with them, and he called them to repentance, and then he laid down his life and he died for them. That's what love looks like. If you don't tell someone you know, the truth about the gospel, one can argue that you don't really love them. Because would you rather see someone perish and end up in hell? I know different brands of theology look at that differently. But I don't care what flavor you are, what brand, what denomination, we are all called to go and share the gospel. Because you don't know who God will save. You don't know that. Christ died the sins of all of us. And he's given it to us to say, listen, I'm giving this opportunity to those who are lost, to those who ignore this, to those who don't like it. You've stumbled across this, perhaps. <laughs> you, um, it's not accidental. Okay, It's not. And God in His providence is not accidental. I promise you that. He's here. He's got me here for a reason teaching this evening because things messed up Sunday morning and I taught, but it didn't go to the YouTube camera. And so we're doing it again. And perhaps it's just for you. Perhaps it's just for you to hear the truth of the gospel. To understand that the love of God is expressed and poured out in Jesus Christ. His perfect life, His death, His burial, His resurrection. Those are the things that lead to salvation when we receive Him. I'm just praying that you will. That you will, whatever you need to do, get on your face. That's what I did. Get on your face. Get on your knees. Bow, pray in repentance. Lord, I've screwed this up. I'm sorry. I need, for, I need forgiveness and I need a Savior. It is the Holy Spirit alone that brings that conviction. And I'm praying that He is working all over you because His purpose is initially to work over you and work on you so that He can work in you and then ultimately through you to bear fruit. And if you're born again in Christ, Christian, you should be bearing fruit. And if you're not, I've challenged you on that before. If you're not, why not? That's the question Jesus has for you. If you're not fruit-bearing, why not? And this year, make it a fruit-bearing year and commit yourselves to do it. I want to share this verse in Philippians chapter 3. And if you're a church kid like I am, you, you know these verses. Paul said, 
uh, after his amazing, amazing salvation experience on the road to Damascus. He was radically saved, the persecutor of the church and Christians and uh, murders and things that went on with his approval and, you know, yeah, and hearty amen to all that kind of horrible, awful stuff. And when Jesus radically saved him, he was saved. But he had this to say that's pertinent to what we're talking about today, and I close with this. But this one thing I do, Paul says, this is what I'm doing. I forget what lies behind all that stuff because he was a murderer in a sense because he agreed with the murders. He was a persecutor of Christ and the church and Christians. He called himself the chief among all sinners. But he said, I forget all of that stuff. Grace of God allows us to do that, by the way. Grace of God will allow you to forget that past and move on. And I press on. He said, I press on to what lies ahead. What lies ahead is God's best for you if you go get it. What lies ahead beyond that is not death in the grave. It's heaven. It is heaven. It is eternity with Jesus Christ and all the other people, friends, family that we know that love Jesus and were born again and are there waiting on us. They're waiting on us. He said, I press again. I press, on, I press ahead for what the goal of the prize of the upward God, excuse me, the goal of the prize of the upward call in Christ Jesus. And then he closes with this, which I think is very cool for those of us who are Christians. Let those of us who are mature, mature in Christ, think this way. Let those of us who are mature in Christ think this way. I hope that the Holy Spirit has spoken something through me tonight that has challenged you, that has called you to cause you to rethink things going into a new year. It's day three of the new year. Don't let another day go by that you don't get in the Word to figure out what it is God has for you. His plan, His purpose. He's got that, and we know that from His promises. So Christian, go do that. Don't wait anymore. Don't let another day go by when you're not in the Word and you're not praying. Start that today and be faithful to do it every day. Every day. And again, lost soul, I'm just praying that before I say amen, you will have received Christ as Savior because you understood by the power of the Holy Spirit that conviction that comes over all of us who get saved. Wow, I've screwed this up. I am just desperate without hope. No matter where you are, no matter what your circumstances are, rich man, poor man, in prison, in a mansion, doesn't matter. You need a Savior. And the Holy Spirit is, is telling you right now that Jesus Christ is the way, the truth, and the life, the only way. And I pray that you would surrender to him even right now. Father God, thank you for this time. Again, I just, I'm standing on the promises of your word that your word will not return void. And I'm praying that for the lives of believers who need to get back on track with you and get in and, and receive all that you have for them, for their ministry, to um, no matter what they're doing, to understand your purpose, your plan, to make that, that their goal, that goal this year, this year for their lives. And then that someone, even right now, is receiving Christ as Savior. I'm praying that they will, Lord. And I thank you for that. Thank you for Jesus, the wonderful, wonderful, matchless Savior that he is for us, Redeemer. We love you, Lord. 
and we thank you for this time. For Christ's sake, amen. God bless you and have a good rest of your week. To learn more about how you can become a Christian or grow in your walk with the Lord and receive freely of all the biblically-based content we have created or donate to help keep this ministry going strong, go to onlyjesus.life. That's onlyjesus.life.